The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. This podcast is a TOEFOP production. Head to TOEFOP.com for more. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. Uh, you know, relaxing, Will, is something I mm. wasn't able to do a few days ago. Uh, we did a uh, Instagram live every Thursday for Two Guys, One Cup. We do a, a live video where we give our tips. Um, and it just so happened that when we recorded it, I was actually on the road. I was driving mm-hmm. up to the Gabba in Brisbane to watch uh, the first of the AFL finals. Um and I told you on the drive that I had made a huge mistake by drinking a lot of water <laughs> before yes. I got my car and then hit the Gold Coast Highway, which is a massive highway, and ran into peak hour traffic. And there's and still a lot of construction and roadworks happening on that highway as so well because they are upgrading it, but it just means that for the next seven and a half years, <laughs> there's going to be roadworks on that highway. And so there's not really many opportunities to sort of easily turn off. Once you get trapped on there, you are trapped. Yeah. And there's not a lot of kind of, especially I was trying to tread that fine line between, well, I could probably make a quick pit stop, mm-hmm. but I had to get to this place on time to pick up my yeah. tickets and all this kind of stuff. So I was, I was running against the clock. And uh, I've been drinking a lot of water lately, trying to get like about three litres into my body a day. So I reckon I'd had close to two and a half litres <laughs> by the time I got into the car. And in my head, I was like, oh, well, look, if you just stay in the leftish kind of lane, whenever you yep. see a BP or a McDonald's or something, mm-hmm. you can just zip off and do that. But yeah. as you so accurately described, there's so much construction and a lot of shit going on. It's, there's, there's no easily accessible exit point. No. So I, I mean, I held on and it was like. I mean, this is like a survivor challenge. Oh, like, man. you know, or I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. They should just like, they don't need to take them to like a jungle in a foreign country. All they do is just like force feed Wilbur Wild three liters of water and then get yeah. him to drive from Byron Bay to the Gold Coast. Oh man. And one of the things I pride myself on is my ability to hold on to my way. Like. I actually get. Do you really at, pride yourself on that? Yeah, I do. I'm you get, of, you like, have internal pride about that. Yeah, it's like one of those things where, like, when I'm traveling with other uh-huh. people and they need to do a wee stop, I'm always like, "You oh, look at that as a sign a of weakness. <laughs> weakness. Yeah, <laughs> like you can't, you, can't you, smell weakness fucking, without wee. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking beta cucks. You beta cucked by your own you bladders. Soy you boy. Having <laughs> <laughs> to go and urinate." needing to do this completely natural bodily function you cucks yeah. <laughs> it is i don't know i just take i take weird pride in kind of like well you know i don't need to if we're if you're doing like a 
like a flight with multiple stops, for instance. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to go and take a wee. Like I'll, I'll, I'll wee once at the start and once at the end and that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Most people don't have to evacuate their bladders like five times in a trip. Um, so I mean, obviously there is some medical stuff around this in that it's probably good training for you to be training for this because as you get older – like you are going to need to urinate more frequently. That is one of the things that happens as you get older. And like, obviously the more that you've built up the muscles and the control to be able to do that. Like, I mean, this will probably Kegels, pay off, basically. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you get to like 70 or 80, like this obsession yeah. you have for holding in your own way will probably actually pay off for you. But at the moment, it's not actually because uh, I've been doing some reading on this in the last couple of days, <laughs> and it's actually considered a bit of an urban myth. Like holding onto your pee oh. doesn't necessarily train you. It doesn't train you. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Not and not any more than like just uh -huh. having good core strength would anyway. Right. Like it's not yeah. like you can ignore. So you have the you have really <laughs> given with one hand and taken away with the other there for a second because I got so excited because I was like, oh, it doesn't. Oh, that makes me feel better. And then you were like, it has more to do with good core strength. And I was like, yeah, nah, back to where I was in the first yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, like you can't <laughs> not exercise but hold on to your piss and have yeah. rock hard abs. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> my, this is my workout, man. You go to the gym. I'm just going to stay at home, drink three liters of water, and hold on to it. We're yeah. both working out. So I got like, uh, I got about maybe 40 minutes from Brisbane city and the traffic's shocking. Like the, mm. the time I was driving was the worst time to be driving into yeah. a, uh, into a city that only has like two access points via mm. bridges, single lane bridges. Um, and so I also was using the inaccurate map. I wasn't using my Google maps. I was using the sat nav in my car, which is right. like, I don't know why they even bother equipping cars with sat nav. They're so like arbitrary and inaccurate. It's like, oh, you'll be at your address in 15 minutes. And then like fucking an hour later, <laughs> I'm still in traffic. So I my, my, to... car, my car's got a sat nav that um, it's like got a, a touchpad. And like, like when like I was buying the car, the guy who's showing it is like, you know, you can like scribble on the touchpad with your, like, you know, put the address just like on your finger and it'll like come up on the screen and it'll go to the address. I tried that once. It absolutely does not do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's one of those things where you're like, I know this is meant to save time, but this would take much more time than me just plugging in my phone and going off my phone sat nav. I mean, I love those. Jen uh, um, gave me her old iPad the other day, and uh, it, it was it was an improvement over my iPad. And one of the features, she said, "Oh, it's got this little stylus pen. It's gone. You can just write notes in the note, and it does that mm. thing where it converts your handwriting into text." And I'm like, "But in a world where we do voice to text, yeah. why the fuck would I handwrite something? Like, if I'm going to if I'm going to take a shortcut, I'm just going to use the voice to text. That that that's already been solved. This this pen that converts handwriting into text doesn't make any difference. No, and I don't know how to erase with it. So if I get it wrong." then I don't know what to do yeah. about that. Like it's, it's much more difficult than just, they should have just said to me, Hey, do you have a phone? And I'll be like, yeah, I've got a phone. And they're like, well, we're just going to rip out about $10,000 worth of equipment out of this car that you will never use. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm hit Brisbane and yep. I hit traffic and it gets to that kind of point where like uh, you, you start playing like all these mental games, like you're pinching your thigh, trying to distract yourself from the kind oh, of okay, pain, yeah, all right. pain in your gut. You're getting some a bit. Good, some good Catholic shit going on now. Yeah, yeah you're getting yeah, some real <laughs> denial of natural impulse stuff. 
Uh, I'm getting like numb uh-huh. in like like for my bladder down. Like I can't feel my nether regions. Numb. Oh, like mm. uncomfortably numb. And I'm doing shallow breathing because if I breathe oh, yeah. deeply, it puts more pressure onto my bladder. <laughs> so I'm like, it's like I'm I'm doing a Le Mans classes. I'm like, like if, I, like if I'd been pulled over the placements, like this guy nothing, is nothing sus. Definitely on drugs. But you, as a joke. Before yeah. we ended the Instagram live, it was like, oh, how funny, you know, if you have to piss into a bottle that we should mm. keep the camera rolling. Oh, yeah. And I was seriously contemplating that because I had my my bottle of water here. And I was oh, like, Oh, now hang on. Like, so but that's your good bottle. That's my good like, bottle. Like that's not like a Gatorade bottle that you just happen to have on the floor of the car, like that you can then no. dispose of once you've urinated it in. That's your that's your trusty water bottle. Yeah, and so uh, I, my plan was because it was about a third fill, just tip it out, obviously, and then I was like, "But I don't <laughs> like." There's nowhere, there's nowhere on the highway that I can uh-huh. just pull over. Um, I mean, so do you pull over and do it in the car, like, and then how, like, how do you? Oh, you are you it? saying? Do you I'd, like? If I'd you have pull to get over, out. mate. If you pull over, then you don't need the bottle. You've got a back tire. If you pull over into like a, I couldn't do it. There's so many what are you people. Like it's, about? On, it's on a highway. I couldn't do it. No way. How I long is this ride. I can stage fright oh, in yeah, a okay, private right. bathroom <laughs> with like one other person. You think I can do it in front of an audience of thousands? Like a it's rotating. Only, it's, the only, it's the only way I can work. I, every time <laughs> I need to go to the toilet, I have to go out on the road and hope a car Everybody. comes by. Because <laughs> that was part of my like that the, one part we went past like a there was like a a veg, some vegetation yeah and I was like just fucking pull over pull over on the vegetation I was like yes oh, I just can't because I because the other thing too is you know when you've held it on for too long it gets yeah. stuck and I'm like I'll just be standing there with my dick in my hands for a good like two minutes before anything happens so if anyone is and everyone's moving at like twenty mm-hmm. kilometers an hour it's not like traffic's mm-hmm. rushing past so they'd be like oh right. is that guy they'd be like. Oh, what is? Oh my God, that guy is just standing there holding his penis on the side of the road. Yeah, but they don't call the police. They'd all no. I mean, it's not like they would not understand what was happening. They are human beings who have been in similar situations. They would. I would end up on brown cardigan in two seconds. That's I know. This is my my great fear is ending up on brown cardigan. Like little sidebar. I'm riding my. uh, Jem got me a bike for my birthday, so I've been cycling around town a lot. Uh And uh, where the gym is, it's just outside, like a little industrial estate outside of town. And there's like a two-kilometer stretch of country road that I have to go down on my bike. And A, it's kind of hairy because there's no bike lane. So I'm sort of riding just to the side of this freeway with trucks and shit going by. B, there are these fucking magpies because it's spring now. And these Mm -hmm. fucking magpies are dive bombing me. So every day I reckon there's about a 50-kilometer stretch where I'm getting attacked by a magpie. And I just fucking know that some trucky or someone or some like uh, trade is going to go by i've seen these videos on the brown card again all the time yeah. and i'm going to be the dork that's like slapping a magpie yeah. off my head and they're going to have some funny caption like swoopy boy look at this dickhead or something like that so well i mean i like to think that the, the two would combine so as you're trying to have a wee on the back tire of your car, <laughs> you can swoop by a magpie. <laughs> so you're like swatting the magpie away. With my pants on my ankles. Hand, but you've got like your hand on your dick on the other hand, <laughs> and then a truckie comes by and puts it on brown cardigan. Yeah, okay. I can see how that would actually happen. My, my greatest fear. My greatest fear. So I didn't, I, I, I yeah. didn't pull over. And so what I was doing is uh, uh, I was going to park at my mate's place 
who lives in Brisbane, and then um, dump my bags in, say hi, to, hey, say hi to his wife and kids, and then jump in an Uber and meet him at the ground. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I finally like, oh, well, it's so dumb. Like about two kilometers from his house, there's like a service station. And I was like, oh, I should just pull in here yeah. and then, you know, get it all out of the way and then yeah. everything will be fine can relax. But I was like, oh, you know what? You're almost there, mate. Just fucking oh, get to the house. What get to the doing? house. So I made it the extra 2K to the house. And by now, like, I'm in agony, like so much pain and like numb. It feels like it's spread down to my knees. So like I'm doing this like <laughs> shuffle walk and I can't move too quick because the slightest vibration uh-huh. could send like, you know, uh, yeah. like a, 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 an avalanche of urine down my leg. <laughs> So, and that, it's a Queensland, of course, who lives in Brisbane. Yeah. So I have to go up these freaking stairs. I get in, I see his wife, the dogs come running up. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. I'll come out and say in a second. Yeah. And I go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, yeah. oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like I said, you've held it in for mm. so long. It's mm-hmm. like, it's all retreated. It's like, nah, mm-hmm. we're not coming out. Clearly, my brain's gone. You, you held on to this song for a reason. There's obviously mm. danger. So we're just going to keep right. it all in here. And I'm like there, like both hands on the wall, <laughs> leaning, going, oh my God. please, please come out. Then it does, and it is the slowest trickle. Like right. it, it and and because it's a slow trickle, it I'm in there for like five minutes as it just like yeah. my poor paralyzed penis <laughs> lets yeah. this urine come trickling nice, out. Nice to see you, but I've just got to go and spend five minutes alone in your bathroom yeah. <laughs> before I really say g'day. Yeah. So uh, it finally comes out and, oh, my God, the relief. I go out, say g'day, um, get in a cab. But for the last four days, mm, oh yeah. I've, I've had the worst pain mm. in my gut, in my uh, bladder, I guess. You held on and too long. I held on too long. Now yeah. there is—I I read online there is a chance of like uh, urinary tract infection, mm. and there is a chance of kidney infection. It's mm. di- it's not there. It's in—it's neither of those spots. It's like I think it's you like pulled I've a muscle. A, a you pulled muscle. a muscle trying to hold it in, haven't you? You've like I can control this part of my body, and you've you've done yourself a mischief trying to hold it in a way. I have got a stitch. I got a stitch in my bladder. Like it, it, it's been so sore for the like all these beta cucks. I was wrong. Apologies to all you beta cucks. <laughs> we we freely, yeah. Who we freely? <laughs> Which are I, uh, freely, son? Yeah, <laughs> the one that he pushed down the stairs. <laughs> I think that's a bonus episode of Patreon. I don't know. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Uh, yeah, man. It was. It was. It was intense. And not only that. But when I um I made it to the Gabba, which I'd never been to before, which was a very spectacular uh, ground. It's so strange that like most cities, their stadiums are, quite, are like the jewel in the crown. Like you you know where the stadium is, yeah. and like you know they build a precinct right. around it. The Gabba's just like yeah, there. In the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't know it. Like you're just no. driving around, and then suddenly there's like yeah, this right. like thirty five thousand mm. seat stadium. Um, and it's because it's. You know, obviously built in a time when I guess city planning wasn't a thing. <laughs> like it's fucking terribly laid out and the gates aren't clearly marked and stuff. So, um, you know, I had to meet my friend at gate eight. And so I found it, luckily I wasn't far from that, found it quite easily, but it's not, it's a, it, it's not one of the main gates. It's like, you know, the, the, you got the big letters, mm-hmm. uh, big numbers. And then gate eight is just for some reason, this tiny little hidden gate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was waiting for my friend and he was having trouble finding it. 
And because it was like footy finals, there's a lot of like, and, and you know, Richmond, a lot of supporters had flown up from Melbourne, a lot of like tension in the air. I'm standing there waiting for my friend outside, you know, gate eight. And I'm wearing black pants and a black bomber jacket and a white t-shirt. <laughs> and stressed fans are coming up to me uh, and, you know, asking for directions. And at first I'm like, well, yeah, okay, it's... um. It's, I don't, I know where things are. They're like, where's gate nine? It's gate nine. It's like, where we go? gate six that way. Yeah. So I'm just like pointing people left yeah. or right, depending. But then like it, it kept happening. And then people were, as the guy, it was getting close to the first bounce and my friends running later, and later people are getting more aggressive with me. <laughs> like <that's laughs> and now they're annoyed at you. Yes. Like, I, I, I don't work here, but I've been <laughs> trying to help people anyway. But now people are pissed off at me because I'm not working here well enough in my imaginary capacity of having this job. And add to that, like my gut is killing me because yeah. uh, an hour ago I was holding on to my pee for too long, and, I, yeah. and 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 the beta cucks were right, which you know. Uh, so any like, of shame, the beta, shame uh, on. Are any of the beta cucks rubbing it in by coming and asking for instructions of where the toilets are? Did anyone <laughs> no, ask you where the nearest toilet was? No, no one did. But this one guy came up. So the other thing too is, uh, like, I, I, as more and more people are coming up, like I'm sort of getting like more detailed oh yeah so gate three it's three you know go that way and that way and and so this richmond supporter came up and he's like where's gate nine and i said oh, it's that way and he's like what do you mean that way and i said we just go around the car park down that street well, down there. yeah and he's way. gone to me the direction that i pointed that, that's what i mean by that way <laughs> yeah but he's gone to me and like and very like close to my face you're fucking kidding me and i'm like nah mate i'm not fucking kidding you and guess what i don't fucking work, don't here. work here and what and did he, he say like, to that well, he was like, yeah, well, what, what were the women to fucking do? Don't mind. And I'm like, yeah, right, look, hey, we're both yeah. pissed off, okay? Right. <laughs> but don't yelling at me is not going to solve anything. And he storms off and then he stops and he comes back and says, I'm sorry, mate, I'm just a bit stressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's good. I'm glad that he actually realised and took the time to come back. Uh, it's where I've, it hasn't happened to me uh, in a while being like asked for people thinking I work in a store or something, but... Even if I did work there, that's no way to talk to someone. You know what the thing is? I, I, you, I, I do kind of get it. Like in what you would be dressed in, you're also like, you know, you do, you, you give off a vibe. I give off a cop. You, yeah, I give a cop. that's right. It's why vibes. you've like, you know, got cast as like, you know, a cop is like, you've just got that sort of, this guy knows where things are. He'll help <laughs> us out. He's approachable. You've got that sort of vibe. I never this get this. This is a guy vibe. who can hold if on to I'm his by, piss for hours. Right. Yeah. I'm over in the corner with the – well, I'm not there because I'm at the toilet or I'm finding a bush to wee behind because I'm a soy boy beta cuck who can't hold on to my wee. But nobody's ever thinking that I know where shit is. No one's ever coming up to me and asking for directions or where – like if somebody saw me lingering by gate eight and they were like, we need to know where gate nine is, they'd be like, fuck it. Let's just find it ourselves. That guy clearly doesn't know. <laughs> So is that what you're saying? I need to look more incompetent. I mean, you have a look of competence that right, belies competence. your general incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I um, I finally watched Woodstock '99. Oh uh, yeah, week. okay. Uh, no, the Netflix one. I haven't I haven't seen the other yeah. one. I'm not sure yes. what that one's on. So Trainwreck. The, the um, colon Trainwreck, Woodstock '99. Right. And foremost in my mind was your question of when would you have left the festival? Yes. Which okay. I think when is when would a you have left? That's good. Yes. Uh, end of day two. <laughs> I think 
Because day one goes relatively okay. That's before, like, it's been one hot day. You've had one vaguely threatening performance by Corn, you know, but even most of the people in the interview said, you know, actually it went off pretty well. We realized it was a different vibe. But day two, when it's like 40 plus degrees, you've had one day of like drinking and drug taking. So you're feeling, you're coming down, you're feeling a bit mm-hmm. shit, can't find any shade. A slice of pizza is costing you 15 bucks. A bottle of water is costing you 12 bucks. Yeah. I think by day two, and then the day, uh, uh, was it prior to Limp Biscuit or during Limp Biscuit that the fucking <laughs> the, the tower comes down <laughs> to one of the sound towers? I can't remember if it was prior or, 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 or during. But I think after that show, I would have been like, yeah, I think, I think that's enough. I think there was actually a girl in the documentary who said, we've just packed up after night two. Mm-hmm. And got out of there. I think that's- after they ripped uh, after they ripped down the sand tower. Yeah, <laughs> that would, yeah. I would have. I would have been. I would have heard about that at home. My friends would have still been there and been like, "You would not believe what happened tonight." They tore down the sound tower because I. Or the, the minute there was no clean water and people were dancing around in sewage, I would have been. That out was of day. There. That was day three. Nah, they I were think. in no, day two. There was already like the water was pretty fucked by day two. Right. Yeah. Well, so the, the, I remember Rage Against the Machine doing Big Day Out in like 2008. When was it Flemington? Do you, I think mm-hmm. you were there. I um, was there. And people were sca- scaling yeah. the camera towers there as well. Do you remember that? There was like a bunch yeah. of people climbing the towers. And I remember that thinking it was pretty hairy. But my concern was more that this drunk idiot's going to fall off and die. Yeah, hurt themselves. <laughs> Not that they yeah. were going to tear the tower tear down, the tower down. <laughs> and, and then set it on fire. I mean, it's amazing. I went into this documentary assuming, because I'd heard a lot about it and, and the other documentary, that it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be like a, a damning indictment on, you know, uh, young white males. You know, they ruin everything. But I didn't come out of it feeling like, I feel like that was like an element of it, but I feel like. It was a pretty decent element of it. Like it was, it was a, a huge yeah, through line, but it wasn't the they, only thing. They weren't the only thing. I think that they were the foot soldiers for uh, a very corrupt system. Like yeah. they were, they they basically were just the SS of this fucking uh, completely corrupt uh, music festival that was trading off the brand name of a of, of a hippie love in. Yeah. And so I can imagine because I went to the Guns and Roses concert that was probably the most equivalent in terms of yes. You once you got locked into this, you know, barren space with no shade in 40 degrees and they start charging you water. So I I got it. Like I remember I was 15 when I went to the Guns N' Roses concert and, you know, this was back before kids, you got to remember, there was a time when bottled water wasn't a thing. Like if no. you wanted a drink, you just drank from the tap. And mm-hmm. so in 1993 or whenever it was, 94 to 1993, to be somewhere where someone's telling you, hey, you can't drink from a tap, you've got to pay five bucks for a bottle of water. That seemed insane to us. Am and I – like, are we missing an opportunity here? Because this Woodstock 99 documentary – I mean, both of them. This one gives you more of a sense of, like, that it was still kind of fun. Like, what I quite liked about this was because they have a whole bunch of people who were there that were, like – it gave a real sense of why people stayed, that they were still mm. felt like they were part of something, that even though things yeah. were going terribly, it was they like – They survived it. They survived it, right? And they yeah. like kind of have that memory. You're right. That Guns N' Roses show is absolutely the equivalent of that. You yeah. were there. 
Yeah. Is there a documentary in that? Surely there's a, like a Woodstock 99 style documentary in that Guns N' Roses gig there. There was, because- a, big, there was a big retrospective article written in The Age about f- yeah. four or five years ago where they went and sat down with like five or six different people who were or who were involved in it. But there, there could be. I don't think it was as – there's not as many flashpoints as, as there were. Right. Like the, it, it's, the Woodstock is heaps darker. Like as far as I know – there weren't like a bunch of like assaults and stuff happening at, at Guns and no, Roses. No, but, I, but I, it, I still imagine there was some pretty like I mean because kids were drinking out of puddles and stuff and like yeah, you I know, was one it of them. Was, yeah, <laughs> I remember finding because the because the what the the other thing that <sighs> fucked up with Guns and Roses was like getting in and out was really badly organized. Yeah. So it's just like a few shuttle buses leaving from Flinders Street Station for I don't know how many forty fifty thousand people, um, and so we were meant to leave the show finished at midnight or one or whatever it was. And then we were there till like 6am. And I remember like just lying on the mud and finding like a half buried bottle of something and just being like, I'm going to fucking drink this. I don't know what I'm so thirsty. I don't know what was in it. And just drank this could have been urine for all I knew, which is probably why (laughs) I now refuse to wait. Uh, Can I ask you, uh, the question about the Red Hot Chili Peppers playing the song mm. Fire. So they go out there yes. and things are on fire and yeah. they choose to play the song Fire. Discuss. It was an odd choice. Mm. And it was an odd choice too considering like when they were off stage, they had to take a break when all the fires broke out and the organizer yeah. was like, hey, can you go out and settle down the crowd? <laughs> I did think that was strange because I got confused. I thought that, like, in my my uh, understanding of what happened was that they were one of the good guys that went out and were like, hey, you know, everyone just chill out. But it didn't seem like it from that No, it did not seem like that at all. It, yeah. What about the Fat Boy Slim story mm. where he's playing and then these guys come in, <laughs> they've come, come in here. They stole a bus. Driving, <laughs> drive a into a crowded... Like rave, like you know, rave tent in a like a bus. It does. Like I've always said about the Simpsons, like what I think they do better than any other show is satirize mob mentality. Like how quickly things yeah. descend <laughs> when there are like no rules, and that's what it felt like. Was just like when people feel like there is no consequences, they just they'll go fucking, cr- they'll go crazy. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, like. That moment where you're like, let's steal that bus <laughs> and now let's drive it into the fucking rave tent while Fat Boy Slim is playing is, yeah, I mean, it's not people thinking straight. It's fair to say. So if you're the artist rather than, okay, you're a punter, if you're Fat Boy okay, Slim, yeah. mm-hmm. like at what point, if you're not being threatened physically like no one's throwing bottles at you or anything like that but you can sort of see god there's a lot of people in here and i can't see a lot of security and stuff mm. do you just go oh well i guess i i know what they're doing or do, at some point do you turn to someone and say hey like i don't know we should keep playing well i mean i you, I, I thought what you could see from him was what the conundrum would have been as an artist which was i think we've got to stop playing because this is a dangerous situation but if I stop playing, is this going to become a much more dangerous situation? Yeah. <laughs> because it feels like me playing might be the only thing that is keeping some of these people from burning this entire place down. 
I felt like I identified with him the most because like I always give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I, you know, very rarely think things are going to go shit. And so when he saw that van driving into the crowd, his brain initially went to, oh, I guess they have a mobile dancing platform. Yeah. The this is fun. Show. What a fun thing they're doing here at Woodstock. You can apparently just drive a van into a crowd. This is rad. This place is going off. All right. I was like, right oh, about yeah, now. That's, what, that's Yeah, that's what I would have done as well. But yeah, that it's just that I could imagine like imagine being there on the first day because it did look quite cool on the first day with you know everything was open and and clean and before the, the rubbish came mm. but it's amazing that within 3 days like what had happened like some of that footage of them driving in the day after the last day where it's just like completely dystopian just like smoking ruins and stuff like that uh, like how do you how do you are you claiming insurance on that? Like, are you insured for riots if you're Woodstock 99? I mean, I can't, I don't even know how that works. Because there'd be some like, kind of culpability, right? Like the owners of that Air Force base must be like, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, to have an airport hangar set on Yeah, they're fire. like, we've, we've been to war zones. And yeah. this is not appropriate. <laughs> like, we will go to other countries, but we always leave our area tidier than when we found it. I mean, I do remember in 1999 hearing yeah. about Woodstock 99 and, like, it's, you know, my memory of it was more like Rolling Stone article mm-hmm. saying, oh, it's like a crass commercialization of the spirit yeah. of Woodstock in there. Which it certainly it. was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the irony of it being on an Air Force base, <laughs> you know, peace and love on an on an Air Force base. And who's the dude, the uh, organizer who did the original one and, and then he's come back? You know, the guy, he's all like, he's one of those fake hippies where he's like, oh, yeah. He's like a he's like Steve Jobs. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm a hippie, but, you know, he's obviously just an ardent capitalist. Well, you know what I – so there's two guys in particular from the original Woodstock, right? So there's the hippy-dippy, long-haired, you know – Curly-haired guy, yeah. Curly-haired dude, you know. Like, like you said, he's got that very much that Steve Jobs sort of – you know, um, ethereal, you know, hippie for humanity, but clearly trying to make a heap of money. And then there's the other dude, the one who's interviewed a lot more, you know, and like should stop talking, should stop being in these documentaries because every time he opens his mouth, he makes the situation worse. Like he says things out loud that he, like A, shouldn't be saying, but if he is saying, should only be saying behind closed doors. Like he's the one who's constantly, every time they bring up like sexual assaults, you know, mentions that, yeah, but the women had their tops off. And you're like, (laughs) yeah, 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 but again, why is someone letting you say this out loud? (laughs) Why did you agree to be part of this documentary? Yeah, and then it's like the the limp biscuit of it all. Like there's one journalist who... I think he he was the young videographer of the, yeah. at the time in '99. So this is what's cool do, about this version. If you've only seen the documentary version, the other version is this one. Obviously, is told through the eyes of a lot of people who were there in the first place, and a lot of these people have footage, whether it was like personal footage that they were taking, or in this case, like they were a journalist working on, you know, like the actual event, and they have like footage from the time and could tell the story. I thought that was really compelling about this this version of yeah. it. Yeah. And, and so one of the videographers, he's sort of telling, because um, the flashpoint was, I guess, day two when Limp Biscuit played their set and that's when yeah. everything fucking went crazy. And he word for word 
repeats like Fred Durst's little preamble before break stuff. Yeah. And it's like, because they keep cutting back and forth between Fred saying it and him saying it. I'm like, oh my God, like how significant was this moment in your life that you have like <laughs> memorized these words? But watching it again, I sort of feel like, yeah, but it's Limp Biscuit. Like you invited Limp Biscuit to this show. Like Limp Biscuit just did what Limp Biscuit do. I'm not saying that, you know, Fred Durst couldn't have gone out and calmed the crowd down, but what do you expect? Yeah. It's not, <laughs> what do you expect? He's, he's not Sting. No. He's not the man for a calm this situation down scenario, right? Like, yeah, you bought yeah. – like that's I, – I agree with that. That Like you are expecting – someone to not be what they are. The problem is that you had Limp Biscuit. It's not like they, mm. well, this is the difference between like, what's the song called? Break. Is it called break, break things? Stuff. Break, break stuff, break stuff. Right. Like at least that's their song. You knew they had that song. They were probably going to play that song. They probably played that song at every other live gig that they've done. They played break stuff. Right. So yeah. like that's the red hot chili peppers. They did a cover of fire. That's not even their <laughs> yeah. song guys. Like, I mean, you don't need to drop this one in. No yeah. one's going to miss it. <laughs> and how's uh, Gavin Rossdale coming out after corn corn tear up the first <laughs> night. And then little Gavin shirtless, Gavin Rossdale <laughs> comes out with his fake Pearl jam band Bush <laughs> to do that set. I actually, was like, I, I actually, I had such a, like a moment of cringe when it's like, oh no, like here comes shirtless Gavin Rossdale on the, like the crowd is so fired up after corn and out comes Gavin Rossdale and Bush to play. And they open with one of their sappy kind of like soft rock songs. I was like, oh God, is this when it happens? Is this when the crowd goes crazy? That's what it I thought was going to happen. But actually yeah, <laughs> like, that's what I thought that story was going to be. And then yeah. like, and I am now the guy who plays Gavin Rossdale because Gavin Rossdale was killed by white teenagers that day. <laughs> that's what I thought this was actually going to be like. But he, I actually came out of that with a little bit more respect for Gavin Rossdale. I was like, oh, you, you calmed him down. Calmed him down. You actually did the response. You, as opposed to so many other people over the weekend who had an opportunity to do the right thing, you went and out there and tried to do the right thing. Well, I thought this was a really telling moment when um, they're backstage with MTV, Limp Biscuit comes straight off. And like one of the first things <laughs> that Fred Durst says is, it's not our fault. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> I didn't do it. Is the I didn't like, do it, kid. It, when the, it's the first thing that you have to say is it's not our fault. I don't know what's going on. None of this has anything to do with me. Um, no, I didn't sing a song about breaking stuff. Absolutely, I did not. <laughs> yeah, or uh, telling all the kids in the crowd to gather up all that negative energy and just let it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's not my fault. Yeah, man, it's. Uh, I didn't get as anxious as I thought I was going to, because I'd heard a lot of stories about it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, like I found I found the Fire Festival documentary more anxiety inducing. Like the idea of being at Fire Festival, I thought oh, that would that would. Have I been I feel like the original documentary me. is more anxiety inducing than this series okay. because with this series. Because it's just told at a, a slightly different pace, you have that breakdown of other people telling their individual stories and their own takes on it, that it doesn't feel as, like, that first initial documentary when I watched that, I was like, it really did fuck with me. I was like, I don't think I can ever go to a music festival again based on how I am feeling watching this at the moment. It did make me so nostalgic for the 90s, though. I was just looking at all the fashion <laughs> 
the music. I love, and it's like, I love oh. that you're the person who watched that and just said, mm, nostalgia, <laughs> take me know. back to these good times. I really did. It's part of my identity crisis. I'm just like, oh, God, the 90s, man. It was a, it was a time when – when you could burn down, you could tear down a light tower at a concert and it was considered a good, I mean, there is that amazing moment where uh, someone's an amateur footage of like these fucking bogans or American equivalent of bogans, just like tearing down this mural. Like, you know, there's just like miles and miles of this beautiful artwork done by artists on plywood. And these guys are just ripping it down. And there's some dude filming it going, woo, woo, this is history. Woo, this is history. And again, it's like one of those Simpsons moments. It's like, oh my God. What do you most miss about that period of time, do you think, if you are nostalgic about it? Like, what is it about that world that, you know, isn't in our current world? Uh, I, don't, it's, I don't think it's about what was in the world. It was more where I was at at that time. Right. I think it's more about the fact that I was discovering all these bands. Mm. And, I, and I sort of, you know, to me, it was a mixture of cinema and music. It, they were the two things I was into. And it was like the indie film boom. You know, it was like Tarantino and Kevin Smith and, you know, being John Malkovich. And, and then it was the music. And I don't know, it's just more, you know, you that's what that's what happens in life is you have a period of time where you feel like the world was great and full of possibilities. And then you do your best to stay in that bubble for the rest of your life. And, hence, <laughs> and that's why we're in the cultural vacuum. Uh, we're in now where everything's fucking Top Gun Maverick and, you know, remaking the same movie 500 times. Okay, so uh, speaking of being in that moment then, mm. I can reveal to you that uh. I have now watched Top Gun Maverick in the way that it was All intended right. from the comfort of my <laughs> living room. <laughs> so <laughs> it is on streaming. So, so I sat down the other night and I thought I'll, 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 I'll do it on behalf of the podcast. I will sit and I'm glad I didn't go to the movies to see it is what I will firstly say. I know it's one of those things where you can only see this in the cinema or whatever. The, I, I understand that those, like, you know, plane scenes are very thrilling. I am absolutely sure, and I'm sure it looked great on the big screen and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, I, I, like, I don't really care. Like, yeah, plane moves, like, are fun for me for about, like, 60 seconds. Like, you know, one buzz the tower, one thing where you kind of like pull up or pull backwards or do some fancy thing. Absolutely. But after a while, I'm just like, okay, yeah, this is. Do you, do you, do you think if I showed you a compilation of flying scenes from the first one to this one, you could tell which one was which? Like, do you think this is significant? I think if you showed me a compilation of flying scenes from the first movie and this movie, that would end the podcast. I'd be like, what are you doing to me? Why are you torturing me in this way? You've taken out the bits that I might be interested in and just left me with the bits that I do not care about. Um, I didn't think it was as bad as I was expecting, right? But I certainly didn't love it. I certainly didn't have that sort of like feeling that people – it's the greatest film had where they absolutely loved it. I didn't understand that. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it was like one of those movies where, like, I'm like, I yeah, just I I thought it was fine, but I would absolutely never watch it again. Like, there's nothing in it that I needed a second look at, you know, or a second version of. Um, 
Well, I mean, because you had a really good primer. I mean, I think if you just watched it cold the first time, you might have to go back and go, did they really dress Miles Teller exactly like Anthony Edwards? Well, so the thing that I don't get, so I actually think that it's even weirder than you had explained to me. Because the logical inconsistency of how they tell that story in the movie is just so terribly done because they have all the ingredients of how you could have told it properly and very easily, but they get so messed around in the idea that well, see what I didn't really get was that goose, sorry, rooster and Maverick have had some sort of relationship together that was only soured by the fact that he pulled his um, application, a- application to like Navy pilot school or whatever it was, you know, that, it's at that point that it seems to have all gone pear-shaped, right? And then that initial scene where, yeah, everybody else is in uniform in the bar and Rooster comes in in goose cosplay <laughs> like, and then sits down and plays Great Balls of Fire as Maverick. To me, the only explanation for that entire scene is that he's doing it on purpose to get inside Maverick's head. Right? <laughs> That's the, it's, what a twisted psychology. only... <laughs> possible explanation for his behavior in that moment like he he knows oh maverick he sees maverick at the bar so he doesn't dark and twisted i'm going to these guys were best friends at yeah. one point i'm going to impersonate right. your dead best friend to fuck with you like that is what it dark. feels like <laughs> it's the only explanation for it because <laughs> Like, Rooster knows how much it will get inside Mav's head. Mav's made his play, and this is Rooster's play in return, is this idea of, like, I'm going to fuck with you in the same way as you fucked with me, right? Like, there's even – there's so many weird bits about it because, if like, if Rooster is so mad about this and thinks that Maverick – because there is this weird thing when they then try to play with the idea of, like, does he think that Maverick's responsible for – goose's death and i'm not sure that he actually does think that maverick is responsible for goose's death it's more about the fact that he like pulled his application for the flight school and then it gets Mm. really messy and then the resolve which you just know is i mean the resolution of it is just so again i mean the message of this movie is terrible like, it's just so terrible because the one thing that comes down to, the message of the movie is, don't think, do. That's yeah. the message of the movie. Don't think, do. Hey, you thought too much. Just do it. Don't think about it. Like, no wonder this movie has been so popular in America. This movie is America. This movie mm. is, I get, like, that it's about Tom Cruise and the last yeah, a bit of movie making that his kind doesn't really exist anymore. That that you know, and that's what Maverick is in this movie. He's someone, a relic hanging on to. But there's no sense of he's a relic for a good reason. Yeah. And this movie, like, I mean, literally the message is don't think about things, just do things. It is the most American message of all time. Like, if America right. had a slogan under the flag, it would be, don't think, do. Well, I guess, I mean, if you really wanted to sort of say he's a relic for no reason, that's not exactly true. Like, he's the only pilot who's ever been able to blah, 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 whatever his qualifications were. And so these wow. new, these millennials, these millennial 
pilots. They don't have the kind of feel mm. that Maverick had because he used to fly F-14s or whatever the fuck it is. So yeah. I think that's that's the kind of yeah. That, that's but the it's kind not of reason why true. He's stuck in time. It's imaginary. It's not true. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but it's the, yeah, it's it's Napoleon being, Dynamite's older brother who was right. a star quarterback in high school. You're nostalgic for a time that actually never existed in the first place. Like, the, like yeah. he is the classic of you know. There is this real sense of I thought the message of the movie was going to be that of course he would have the capacity to teach these kids how to do it. Like, but really the message is that he's just better than them and they couldn't do it without him. Like none of them can do it. They're the new top guns. And of course he is the only person who can possibly get it done. You know, it's that scene of like, you know, your kind's out of the way. Yeah. Like your time's over or whatever it is like, not today. And it's like, yeah, not today, but what is the message of this movie? It's the new Ford versus Ferrari in this is the perfect father's day. Film. In fact, when I talked to Broden, he was saying like his dad doesn't go to the movies anymore, just doesn't consume movies. But no. took him to Top Top Gun was one that gets a pass because you know there's father son issues, and it really you're right. It's reinforcing that message that old people get it. Old people young get people it, and young useless. people are dumb. Technology. The best that young people them. can do is yeah. it, is impersonate their dead dads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's the closest you'll ever get to any meaning. Is dressing like us. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like you'll get an opportunity to prove yourself mostly through misguided guilt and, guilt and nepotism because <laughs> Rooster gets the fly in this final battle based on nothing more than Maverick's fucking hunch, right? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like he hasn't done anything to prove in the times. Like, in fact, if anything, he's been the worst performing of pretty much anybody in all the trials, Rooster. And then Maverick's like, no, 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 this will rebuild our, rep- our like relationship or whatever. You're right, because he fails all the kind of practical yeah. exams like everyone else, yeah. and then he's really sulky in yeah. class. Like he's he's actually uh, the, the other guy, the arrogant dude, yeah. should re- has right should be rightfully pissed Mate, off that he wasn't. He's, sl- the he's the done best everything. pilot by far. He's done everything correctly. Now everything, yeah. and comes and saves them at the end. Spoilers, but like he's yeah. he's the hero of the movie. I don't know why you made him look like a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you yeah. think of the? Um, Sex scene, sort of thing. The lovemaking yeah, sort scene. of thing. Not really a sex scene. Yeah, sort of thing. Like, it's. It, did you find it weird and, and off-putting? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because yeah, also, I couldn't work out what we're meant to. Again, I thought they had some interesting things to play with, which was, and they almost got there a few times. Right, like they almost mm. understood that he is actually a figure that can be pitied or a figure that, you know, that the truth of it is that he has something in front of him that would actually be good for him, but he can't, you know, like that his ego and then whatever he needs to prove, you know, in the air is like stopping him from like, you know, having what he actually needs on the ground and in his real life. And they did touch on some of those things, but gee, they really just like hinted towards it rather than grappled with it or dealt with it. The most emotionally connected I felt to that film was when she rings the bell and he's got to buy the bar around because I was like, oh, fuck, how much is that? <laughs> and then I started thinking, what would I do in that situation? Would I just refuse to pay? Because let's say that how many people do you reckon in that bar? Maybe 200? Yeah, 200. 150? 200, 200? Let's say 200, yeah. five bucks a drink. Mm. So it's like a 1,000 bucks. That's mm. a fucking lot of 
that that's a that's a that's not just a practical joke. That's that's no. significant. That's like someone that's like someone's rent or you know like mm. a fucking down payment on something. Like that's a lot of money. I and mean, it's a pra- ha- it's a practical lesson in not disrespecting women though like this is yeah this is she's just decided like i'm in this mostly male environment i'm literally gonna have to ring a bell like you know to make sure that i am treated i actually thought in a way like i mean obviously the power dynamics of it are not played in this way but in my head that bit of storytelling made some sense to me you're running Mm. a bar where the majority of the people in that bar are men like they have this very sort of arrogant military like you know energy towards them that alpha sort of energy towards them and you need some way to make sure that you're not constantly being hit on and disrespected by the people who work here here is the rule i have this bell and it's what you're talking about earlier she's using mob mentality as her weapon right she's weaponized this idea that she doesn't need to enforce it the bell enforces it because everybody else, she's like got them on the side. The person has to buy a drink for everyone in the bar that gets the mob on your side. And the mob are also the people who are going to enforce your rules. Like to me, that was actually, I was like, God, this is a clever dynamic for being able to manage like a tough situation. If you were like a woman running this bar. Most sets I've worked on have a rule that if you're, if you bring a phone on and it goes off during a take that you have to buy the crew beer. And I, it happened to me once. And I was like, oh, fucking like Evan, ha, ha, ha. And so um, I went to get some beer and I went with one of the guys, one of the crew members, because the bottle shop was around the corner. And I was just going to buy like to his new or something. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like you're buying some important <laughs> beer. Like you're buying. And I remember I was like Maverick at the time. I was like, but that's, I mean, this is the difference between like, you know, 75 bucks and 150. Like, come on, come on. And he's like, no, no. And I was like, oh, okay, shakily had to hand my can over to reward the crew. There's something that I imagine that they don't do to everyone, but they think the cast, they can bloody penalise them. Yeah, absolutely. But I I thought that was like that part of that story I didn't mind. The, mm. the bit of it that I did not believe in any way was that if Mav is this legendary top gun pilot you know the best of the best the only guy who can fly these sort of missions and he is best friends with like one of the you know biggest admiral most powerful men in the military and that he's a legend of the top gun program the idea that all these young gun top gun pilots did not recognize him in that bar when he looks exactly the same as he did when he went through the Top Gun program. He's like, if if he was an old man, like if he looked 30 years older, you'd be maybe like, yeah, who is that guy with the beard in the corner? Yeah, Oh, you never believe it. That's actually Maverick from the, you know, (laughs) like the legend. But you're like, they're like, yeah, who's this old man? And you're like, it's Maverick, the most famous pilot (laughs) in the thing that you did. Uh, What about the uh, double football scene? Did you like that? Oh, a little yeah. homage to the shirtless, uh, <laughs> but weird Tom Cruise shirtless. Like I haven't seen it in a while. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, how old is Tom Cruise? Sixty something, right? I mean, he looks. Hey, Mike, can you look up how old Tom Cruise is? I think. It's I mean, 60. he looks incredible. Like that's what I will say. Like, well, but, incredible for his age, but I don't need to see that shit. No, no, he, I don't think he does look incredible of his age. He looks like a really fit and healthy late 40s dinosaur 
right? He's but 60, he's not by the way. He's, he's 60 years old. He's 60. Old, right? Fucking. Yeah. So he looks like a good, like mid 40s, late 40s. Yeah. But the fact that he's 60 he, and looks like that is weird. There's just that little bit of it where you're just like, you can see the effort that's gone into it. It's yeah. It looks a little HGH for me. Just there's a, well, there's a probably thing, because it is right. Like you can't yeah. look like that at that age without using human well, you growth stop hormone. Producing right? testosterone, and yeah. you can't produce muscle mass like no. that after a certain age. And so, and he's a little man. Like even uh, with like a Sylvester Stallone or some of the bigger action geriatrics, you kind of like oh, yeah because they've got the mass behind it, so it sort of looks more normal. But he's got this little compact little bulging muscles on his little petite little frame. And it, I don't know, he just looked like this, to me, he looked like a lumpy little Tyrannosaurus Rex. He's got these little big barrel chest and these little short arms. It was just like, I get that, you know, he he felt like I work hard for this and I don't fucking drink and I don't smoke. And Xenu has blessed me with a thousand, <laughs> a thousand blessings. I, I must, I mean, did you find that that was, it? I mean, it's sort of hard to separate Tom Cruise from the Scientology stuff. But part of me was like, what's the science? Scientology angle with all of this. Like I've got, I get the feeling there's some metaphor, some Scientology metaphor here about like Thetan levels or something like that, you know, that in the same way that Tom Cruise, the celebrity has preserved himself in time. Maverick has preserved himself in time because of Xenu, something like that. I mean, interesting. I think. I mean, if it turned out that Maverick was a Scientologist, do you think that would be too on the nose? Oh, see, that should have been what the twist was, right? <laughs> like that he's – the reason that he hasn't like graduated through the program is that he just got way too into Scientology. That's that's yeah. that's great. Like, I mean, he's the greatest pilot of all time, but just don't bring up – When he's bonding with his yeah. class, he had, first lesson is they all have to use the E-meter. They yeah. all get up <laughs> and they sit down and yeah. hold so on to the So firstly, I'm going to give you all personality questions. tests. So <laughs> they're free. It's okay, guys. I'm going to give you some free personality tests. Now, well, we've got a bit of mail here that's, you know, it's been a very, look, okay. I, between Five and Top Gun Maverick, we've had yeah. two very dominant themes yes. in this year's TOEFOP. Um, the questions aren't so much, these, these emails aren't so much about people defending or, or, or bagging Top Gun Maverick, but more explanations around okay. facial hair, because obviously right. last week we were just discussing the idea so this is from AJ, uh, who said, my dad had a perfect mustache in my memory. He was an army man, mm -hmm. and he was the picture of masculinity in my mind. My parents split when I was five, and I had to grow up to that standard in my head. Um, so I had a beard at 16. Yeah, it was shitty. Mm -hmm. I was estranged from my father for over 20 years, and then I met him. He had stopped wearing his mustache after the army. My mum made him grow a mustache. She made him wear boxes and made him chew red man tobacco because he was a total nerd and needed to be and needed to be respected by the by the other soldiers. Right. Um, he is a nerd, and we have a good relationship now. So I like that idea that Meg Ryan says to Baby Goose, "You're a nerd," yeah. <laughs> and the only way yeah, the other soldiers are going to respect yeah. you is to is to grow a mustache. Um, AJ continues. I had a mustache or a beard for seventeen years, mostly. Because this image of masculinity I, I had in my mind was my father. So that makes it. I mean, that's, you know, like they're kind of alluding to that in, in Top Gun Maverick. But I don't think it's as poignant as AJ has made it just there. Uh, then AJ continues, also the dick duster. It works well in the gay scene. 
Uh, I stopped go by. I stopped going by the name Andrew after a ton of transition therapy, and I'm now AJ. And shaving sucks, and my dad is cool with it. I love you all. Also, please add more time travel content. So, <laughs> a lot of a lot of info on that last sentence. Well, there. firstly, Thank congratulations, you, AJ. AJ. Very nice to hear. Um, yeah, it's look. I think that, um, like, because there's a character in this. Like uh, Bob, you know, the character Bob hilariously doesn't have a call sign, Bob. Oh, yeah. Do you know who that is, that actor? Because no. he's in um, – I started watching Out of The Outer Range. He's the son from The Outer Range. Ah. And um, he is Bill Pullman's son. Is that right? Yeah. And you can see it when you sort of go, oh, yeah, I see the Pullman of it all. Yeah, okay. So he's yeah. kind of like your nerdy character, isn't he? Like what if yeah. one of the other pilots – so, like, what if Goo, like Rooster, Baby Goose, has come in, like, and he just looks like, you know, normal Miles Teller, like, you know, like he would mm. would be if he wasn't. And he went in and, say, Bob was dressed like Goose. So, like, Bob uh, had grown up idolizing Goose, idolizing. you know, like, you know, like, you know, less, less of an alpha character, somebody Make that, like, Bob you know, yeah. the son of another one of the original Top Gun pilots, one oh, yeah. of the, the supporting characters. Yeah. So there is a connection and he's seen photos of Goose and he knows who Goose is. And, yeah, he grew up yeah. idolizing Goose. And yeah, yeah. and Miles Teller comes in, Rooster comes in, and Bob's got a Hawaiian shirt on and a mustache. That I would like to see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is from Russ. Uh, not Russell Crowe, just mm -hmm. A. Russ. Uh, hey, Charlie and Will, uh, our discussion about Goose and Rooster's moustache and Top Gun, it got me thinking about the facial hair in the military. As I was once in the Royal Australian Navy and have a beard, I thought I'd oh, share yeah. with you the steps it took to grow a beard in the Navy. Right. Uh, I'll give you some background about the facial requirements. So in the yes. Australian Army and the Air Force, the only facial hair permitted is a moustache. No beards, goatees <laughs> or sideburns. I believe okay. the four arms of the U.S. military, <laughs> Navy, Army, Air Force, and Coast Guard are the yeah. same. The only facial hair allowed in the Australian Navy is a full beard. No mustaches, goatees, or long sideburns. What I, um, okay. So Graham, so, Gar Gra Graham Garden would have uh, sucked. We would have what had no I love about this, Navy. but Bill Oddie would have been fine. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I love, though, is so he's saying in the American armed forces, you can only have a mustache but no beard. Mm. And Australia, you can only have a beard, no moustache. Is that what we're saying? Uh, in Australia, the only facial hair permit is a moustache. No, just in the Australian Army and Air Force. Navy, you can have a beard in Australia. Okay, right. So in the Australian Army or Air Force, yeah. you can only have a moustache. Oh, okay. If you're yep. in the Navy, you can only, you can have, have, a, you can only have a beard. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Is it something to do with being on the water? <laughs> uh, it's an official directive that unless you have a beard... All men must be clean shaven. Uh -huh. If you're found not to be clean shaven whilst on duty, you can get charged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Imagine that. Dishonorably discharged for having a beard. Although, but, but isn't like anyone. isn't not having shaved just a really short beard? Like that would be my argument. I'd be like, well, I'm growing a beard. How do you grow a beard other other than? Oh, okay, we're okay. getting to that. All right. So here's a tantalising total yes. tidbit. For a sailor to grow a beard in the Australian Navy, he yes. must fill out a request form asking permission <laughs> and you have it approved by a coxswain, which is the Navy, the Navy's military police. Uh -huh. um, 
once the request is approved, you have two weeks to grow a full beard. Two weeks? Two You'd weeks. fucking fail that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yet another, two, yet one, another two reason I can't join the Navy. <laughs> two weeks. I think, uh, I mean, I would struggle to get a beard. I'd get a good shade up, but then I'd get a full beard. But what I love is two weeks, you've you might- got to be able to do it in two weeks. Like, <laughs> the otherwise. No beta cucks in the Navy, mate. <laughs> No beta cucks pissing all over the place and not being able to grow beards. <laughs> During the two weeks, you must carry around the sign request form. So if anyone asks why you haven't shaved that day, you have proof that you're growing a beard. So it's like when you're waiting for your new license to arrive. You've got a little handwritten note. At the end of the two weeks, you go back to the coxswain's office as he or she assesses the fullness of your beard. Is that part of their training? Like, I want to see a whole film about that. It's just like training coxswains to judge beards with like little rulers and stuff, magnifying glass, like a little ruler. I mean, that, I, this is like uh, the original I, I, Are You a Robot test. Like, is this a beard or is this not a beard? <laughs> the beard must connect all the way around to the jawline and to the mustache. Right. A lot of guys fail here as their beards may not fully connect to the mustache mm. at the sides of their mouth or it's just too patchy. Which is a very trendy beard look. It's that kind of David Beckham, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, where you just get like a little wispy mustache and a little yeah. bit of goatee here. In my case, when I was posted to HMAS Watson, the coxswain thought my beard had potential. <laughs> Promote that man. <laughs> I'm, now, I'm now a five-star general, beard division. <laughs> <laughs> the coxswain thought my beard had potential, so he granted me another week okay. to let the beard grow. After a week, I went back to the office. It got approved. You might also laugh at this story. When my mate Worm went through the process, his beard was looking a little patchy at the end of the two-week period, and he didn't think it would be approved. <laughs> yeah. To get a fuller-looking beard <laughs> no. before he went to see the Worm. coxswain, he took himself down to the mess, yeah. trimmed off a few of his pubes, yeah. and stuck them to his face with a bit of shoe polish. <laughs> Beard approved. He just McGyvered up a beard out of just some boot polish and some pubes. A merkin. Yeah. <laughs> he just slapped a merkin on his face and got approved. I just keep thinking of like Team America, you know, when he goes undercover, he's just got like pubes and shoe polish all over his face. Just going back to your commanding officer. Anyway, uh, it seems a little over the top if you think about it. You can't have guys forgetting to shave and just saying they're growing a beard if they get caught. I know the sailors, and I know sailors, and although I love them, there is no way of getting around the rules. So things generally have to be extremely clear, and consequences are well defined. Oh, and a few times Charlie got himself a little mixed up with saying the pilots in Top Gun were Air Force. Come on, mate. Show some more respect. Always remember this saying the Navy navigates by the stars, the Army sleeps under the stars, and the Air Force choose their hotels by the number of stars. <laughs> Defence Force humour. Thanks, Russ. Uh, all right, that is Tofop for another week. Uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in. Um, go to tofop.com to check out our other podcasts. Uh, who's on Fofop this week, Will? Uh, oh, Gareth Reynolds. Very fun. Uh, Fofop. With oh, awesome. Gareth Reynolds. And a bit of a Tofop, Fofop hive mind because uh, podcast Mike. I noticed uh, on his social media was talking about Frankie Munez uh, from Malcolm oh, yeah. in the Middle. And uh, it turns out that Gareth and I have quite a long conversation about Frankie Munez <laughs> on Fofop as well. So uh, there you go. 
Uh, Two Guys, One Cup on the Listener app. Uh, It's finals time, baby. Um, So we'll be talking about the first week of the finals. And Patreon. Uh, Bonus episodes going on Patreon. We're just about to log off to do our special bonus app every two weeks. You get a new bonus app and plus a bunch of other great content on patreon.com. Plus full videos of the show. Uh, Full videos of the major show. Full videos of the bonus shows. uh, Sign up to patreon.com slash tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Melanison. This podcast is a TOEFOP production. Head to TOEFOP.com for more. Cool things for cool people.